Good morning. Muy buenos días. Saludos desde Cristo Vive, que está en Madrid, España. So greetings from Christ Lives Church, uh, which is in Madrid, Spain. Hard to believe it's been seven years. Time flies when you're having fun. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Father, thank you for another privilege, another opportunity to share from your word. Thank you for the, the prior privilege and blessing to be with your people, to honor you in song, to honor you in prayer and giving. Pray that you would be equally honored and glorified in the teaching of your word. Father, this can be a tough subject sometimes, and some might find it surprising, but even as, as missionaries, our hearts can grow cold towards those who are far away and, and lost. And so I pray that even as I share, that you would change my own heart, change all of our hearts here this morning, something that you alone can do. So we're looking to you to do, again, what only you can do. And we pray this in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, around two weeks ago, Jeannie and I mailed out our annual calendars to our supporters, and we've done this for a few years now, but it got me thinking a little bit about the U.S. Postal Service, trying to think through and process a little bit of what's entailed with all that the U.S. Postal Service does. So I did some research, and I discovered some interesting facts that I'd like to share with you here as we get started. For example, did you know that the US Postal Service processes and delivers 340,000 mail pieces per minute? 5,700 per second? In fact, last year they processed and delivered close to 150 billion, with a B, total mail pieces. And did you know, and this is absolutely Amazing that in the early days of parcel post, some parents actually mailed their children if they were under the 11-pound weight limit. <laughs> in 1913, an eight-month-old baby in Ohio was mailed by his parents to his grandmother who lived a few miles away. <laughs> his postage, 15 cents. <laughs> but don't be alarmed, he was insured for $50. Now, the kids weren't actually sent in paper boxes with bubble wrapped, but they were wa rather walked uh, along by the mailman or were carried, as you can see. The Postal Service moves mail by planes, hovercraft, trains, trucks, cars, boats, ferries, helicopters, subways, bicycles, and of course, feet. In Alabama, a boat travels a 31-mile stretch down the Magnolia River and delivers mail to 176 mailboxes on different docks along the way. The Postal Service has 7,000 letter carriers. They deliver mail entirely on foot, and they're known as the USPS Fleet of Feet. God has a fleet of feet as well. It's you, it's me, and it's called the church. Sometimes we're the church gathered, as we are this morning, 
But more often than not, we're the church scattered, sent out on our various routes. He has given us each route as his carrier. We are carrying his great letter to the world, a letter which tells of the good news of Jesus. The church scattered is indeed God's fleet of feet. At the end of Matthew and Mark, in those Gospels, Jesus told his disciples, go. At the end of John, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. But being sent often brings with it a a degree of danger. Last year, more than 6,000 postal employees were attacked by dogs. And there were more than 625 reported threats and assaults against workers. Being sent does often entail danger. Jesus said it this way, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep among the wolves. And so this morning we're going to answer a few questions around this idea of sending. What is the foundation of God's sending? To whom does God send us? What are we sent to share? And as a result, what does it mean to push the envelope and live a sent life? Now, whenever I have the opportunity to to teach, I generally prefer and and try to teach out of one central passage, but today's going to be a topical message, so I'll be bouncing around between a, a variety of different verses. And for those who are kinesthetic as Uh, Doug mentioned there is an envelope in your bulletins for the kinesthetic and visual learners. If this helps, you can pull this out. I'm going to be making three main points this morning that correspond to three areas of the envelope. The sending address, the destination address, and then the postage. And so the first place I'd like to start is with the sending address. As we know, this represents the person who does the sending. If you're taking notes, On the top line of the sending address, go ahead and write Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Below that, on the next line, go ahead and write God is a sent God. And on the third line of the sending address, write God is a sending God. As we're going to see, the Trinity is key to this idea of sending. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you'll allow me just a moment to refresh some core truths about the Trinity, Trinity, they can be summed up in three simple words. Unity, diversity, and equality. Unity. We believe there is one eternal God. We don't believe there are three gods. We don't believe there are many gods. We don't believe that everything is somehow God. We believe there is one eternal God. Diversity. We believe that God eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each person with diverse roles and functions. We don't believe that God is one person with three costumes, much like an actor in a play might have three costumes or three masks. We don't believe that. No, we believe there are three distinct persons in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Equality. We believe that each of these three persons is fully and equally God. One person is not more superior or better than another. 
unity, diversity, equality. And it's this second point, diversity, which really helps us understand this next phrase on the envelope, that God is a sent God. God exists as three distinct persons, as we said, each with distinct roles and functions. It was the Father's role and function to send the Son. Moreover, it was the Son's role and function to be our Redeemer. It was the Son, in other words, not the Father and not the Holy Spirit, who was sent to die on the cross for our sins. John 3, 17. For God did not send his Son into the world in order that he should judge the world, but in order that the world should be saved through him. John 8, 18. The Father who sent me testifies about me. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the time, the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Diversity of roles and function also enables us to affirm that it's God's spirit who is sent to indwell believers today. John 14, 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that one will teach you all things. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Galatians 4, 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. See, the Trinity enables us to see that God is a sent God. He sent himself. But it also enables us to see that he is a sending God. When we look at the Old Testament, we see national Israel. And while they were not directly sent to the nations, they were still to be a witness, an attractive light to all the peoples by their obedience to God's law. One scholar says it this way, the mission of Old Testament Israel was not to go to other nations, but to be the nation God called them to be, to live as Yahweh's people, to bear witness to the identity and character of Yahweh, their God, in the midst of the nations. But once we come to the New Testament, the church is not only to be an attractive light as well, but also to be a sent witness. The same theologian goes on to say, Luke ends his gospel and begins Acts with Jesus entrusting his disciples with the same role that Yahweh had given to Israel in Isaiah 43, the task of being witnesses. The difference is that that role will now involve actually going out to the nations and to the ends of the earth. John Mark, in the Bible, a close friend of Peter, Barnabas' cousin, John Mark, went on Paul's first missionary journey, a portion of the first part before he returned back to Jerusalem. Here are some of Jesus' final words in John Mark's account. Go. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. God is indeed a sent God. But he's also a sending God. And you and I as the church, we're sent as witnesses 
on the various routes that he's given us. We're his carriers, carrying his great letter containing the message of his son. This brings us to the second area of the envelope, to the destination address, which tells us to whom or where we're sent. Many of you are familiar with Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, the disciples were to be sent to those nearby, to those a bit further out, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Recently, I listened to a sermon from a missionary colleague of mine, and he described three types of people to whom were sent. The regulars, the reachables, and the remotes. So if you're taking notes in the area for the destination address of your envelope, go ahead and write the regulars on that top line for the destination address. Underneath that, the reachables. And then on the third line, the remotes. So who are the regulars then? Regulars are those people in our everyday circle of life our everyday circle of contacts, family, friends, neighbors, classmates, colleagues at work. We often have regular contact with these people. They get to know us, we get to know them, trust is developed, and very often they begin to confide in us, to share hopes, to share struggles, perhaps to share areas in which they're suffering and when they do in that moment, it's an opportunity for us to shine hope. We can ask thoughtful questions. Perhaps we can even share some of our own hopes or struggles that we're going through and ultimately point them to Christ. But as we all know, these conversations can't be forced. Sometimes we have to wait a long time. Evangelical Protestants are often viewed as members of a cult in Spain. Jeannie and I lived there for five years before many people ever felt comfortable even having a conversation with us. And so Jeannie and I, to give a name to this experience, we, we called this process normalizing. That is, learning to live in normal ways, day after day, earning their trust. Well, what about the reachables? Who are the reachables? Reachables are the people in our communities, possibly distant family and friends. We bump into them at parks. We take walks, school events, at the bank, grocery stores, restaurants, maybe at the postal office, the gym, the dry cleaner, the gas station, shopping malls, family reunions, maybe even farmer's markets. And reachables will only be reached if someone understands that they are sent to them. Now, we don't always know reachables as well as we know the regulars. And so sometimes reachables can give the appearance that they don't need hope or help. They can appear like they have life together. They are living the dream. Not likely. In reality, they're trusting a false sense of hope if they don't have the person of Christ in their life. Finally, the remotes. The remotes are those people who live isolated from hope. They live in places where there are no or few believers in their community. 
They have little to no access to Christian broadcasting or Christian literature. Some have been brought up in atheistic homes or in other environments of uh, representing other world religions. And remotes will only be reached if someone is sent to them as well. Someone who will cross borders of geography, cross borders of language, cross borders of religion, cross borders of worldviews. Many remotes live in what we call today the 1040 window, that rectangular area about 10 degrees north and 40 degrees north latitude. It includes North Africa, the Middle East, Asia, and believe it or not, Spain as well. We're fewer than 2%, possibly as low as 1% of Spaniards believe that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. The 1040 window, it's sometimes called the resistant belt, includes a majority of the world's Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. Other remotes live in areas where there's no Bible translated into their language. Roughly 20% of today's population in the world do not have a Bible translated and written down in their first language. But they're not the only remotes. There are others, those who communicate through sign language, for example. Do you know that currently there's 400 sign languages in the world, and not a single one of them has the entire Bible translated in their sign language? Regulars, reachables, and remotes. We're going to come back to that in just a moment, but let's go ahead and pass to the third area of the envelope, the postage area. Interestingly enough, until the mid-1800s, people usually had to pay to receive letters. And so the recipient had to pay the postage or the cost of a letter when a, when a letter was sent to them. And so as you can imagine, a lot of mail was returned. People either didn't have the money or simply refused to pay the money to receive the letter. But all this changed in 1847. Prepaid postage stamps were introduced. And this meant that the sender paid the postage so that the recipient did not need to pay anything. So if you're taking notes in the postage area of your envelope, go ahead and write down, Jesus paid it all. He paid every cent of it. In other words, the gospel is God's prepaid postage. The good news of Jesus is God's prepaid stamp. Perhaps someone is thinking, however, I'm not sure I'm tracking exactly. What exactly did Jesus pay for? Well, the Bible says that Jesus paid for our sin. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us messes up our relationship with God. We dishonor him. We disobey him. We rebel against him. And the Bible calls this sin. All right. So I sin some, but what's really the big deal? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. In other words, sin requires a payment and an expensive one, a costly one one that not one of us in this room desires to pay. Our sin means we owe a debt, death, which ultimately leads to eternal separation from the presence of God. 
And so when we say that the gospel is God's prepaid postage, it means that Jesus made the payment of death on the cross for us so that we can now freely receive God's forgiveness at no charge. This is really, really good news. This is great news. The reality is that even if we tried, we could never pay the postage. But God did. He paid the postage cost of death through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, to receive this offer, it does require faith on our part. It requires that we recognize that we've sinned and that we can't pay the postage we owe due to our sin. We must believe that Jesus alone is able and has paid it all. And this is the heart of the gospel. If you're here this morning and you want to be sure that you know that Jesus has paid the postage of your sin, I encourage you this morning to turn to him. Turn to Christ. Tell him, admit, I have sinned. I can't pay the postage. You have. For those who are already Christians, this gospel, God's prepaid stamp, it does a couple of things in our lives. First, it clarifies for us the message that we are sent as carriers to deliver. But it also inspires us. It motivates us. It causes us to love God more. It makes us want to be a sent people so that we can deliver this great news. And so this leads us to the question now of how are we doing being sent to the regulars, to the reachables, and to the remotes of our day? I'd like you to turn your envelope over and write on the back a simple phrase, push the envelope. Live the sent life. Push the envelope. Live the sent life. To push the envelope means to extend the current limits of performance, to innovate or go beyond commonly accepted boundaries. And as we live the sent life, may God help us to continue to innovate and go beyond what we've done in the past. So with regards to the regulars, I'd like to encourage you this morning to give special attention to your children, to your grandchildren, and to your nieces and to your nephews. In one recent study, details are given as to why two-thirds of our young people are leaving the church by the time they reach college today. We know that we live in a post-truth culture. It's therefore no longer enough for a child to be raised in a Christian home and to attend church. Kids and students are riddled with deep questions, and they're wondering if anyone has answers. <clears throat> Parents, grandparents, uncles and aunts, we've got to double down, we've got to triple down our prayers for our youth, for our children. We have to equip them I was thrilled when in the month of November, my niece 
just needing to read different apologetic books for her school program, and she asked if I'd read a book on creationism with her, and so we read that book together, and just two weeks ago sat down at Starbucks and talked through the contents together. It was great. And this month I had the privilege of reading another book with her, The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel. It's not hard to do, but we do need time and margin and commitment to be able to do so. I also want to encourage you to give special attention to your conversations with people. As we all know, we live in a day and age when anger and rage prevails. When I lived in Mexico City for a year and a half, there was a Mexican pastor who told me one day, he said, Tim, the gospel message has the ability to offend, offend people by itself. You don't need to offend people with your attitude and your tone. <laughs> that caught my attention, and it really made me think, and how are we doing? How are we doing today as the church? Are people more offended and hurt and angry by the response to us, how we're communicating, more than, more than the message that we're even sharing? We've got to, to season our conversation. We've got to learn how to create opportunities in conversations with people. One gentleman I know used to, used to create opportunities at restaurants in a unique way. He and his buddy would always tell the server that they were in the habit of praying before their meals. And though it might seem a little strange, that they'd be willing to pray for the server if there was something that he or she might need in their life. I was stunned at how many people took my friend up on his offer to pray for them. It's a great way to start a friendship and possibly see if the Lord will bring this person to a personal relationship with them. If you do this idea, it's also a good idea to have a little business card because after you form a friendship, you can leave your business card with them and then they can follow up with you in a way that feels safe and comfortable to them. Learn how to lay out what I like to call conversational crumbs or conversational carrots. That is learning how to say things to others that, that invite the listener to respond. That invites the listener to ask a follow-up question, to, to want to know more. In Spain, and I imagine this is the case everywhere now, people love to ask us our political views. Wow. Who do you hope to see as the president? Who do you hope to see running Congress? Who do you hope? Who do you hope? Who do you hope? I hope you'd stop asking me. <laughs> <laughs> so we've just learned to try to respond in a different way to say, you know what? Politics are critical. And hope is key. But to be honest, I, we, we've never really placed our hope for ultimate change ultimate and lasting change in a politician or in a party. Rather, we've learned to place it somewhere else. And then we wait to see if they ask us, well, where, where do you place your hope? And if they do, thank you very much for asking. And it's a perfect entree to talk about the person of Christ. And if they don't ask, that's okay. We can wait for another day. Continue to pray for them. Regarding the reachables, encourage us to continue to get involved with community outreach. 
whether it be through the crossings, the Lorton Community Action Center, a food pantry, a clothes closet, an alpha course ministry, special holiday services. There are numerous things we can do. These are a bridge to the community and a bridge to the good news of Jesus. We've got to be creative. Individually as in a church, looking for ways to meet felt needs in our neighborhoods and in our communities. I love eating Ginny's Christmas cookies, so I'm always happy every year when she makes Christmas cookies and I have to sample most of the Christmas cookies that she makes, but we pass those out to our neighbors and to local businesses, and it's amazing the inroads, the doors that God has opened through just Christmas cookies over the holidays. There's another gentleman that I've heard about who helps people use their phones. And when he's done helping them with their phone, he asks for permission to install a Bible app on their phone and shows them how to use it so that they can get contact with God's word. Inviting neighbors over for a meal. We all have to eat, so why not invite a neighbor over to join us for a meal? This past week, I was talking with someone and they were actually sharing with me a story about a neighbor that they had been regularly inviting over for dinner. And that neighbor sent my friend a letter saying the following. I haven't thanked you for the dinner you allowed me to share with you and for your delightful friend who I consider to be a delightful friend of mine too. Surely one reason why our street will always be home is because of the scrumptious meals you put before your guest and the fine company and conversation of your dinner gatherings. Your hospitality is always warm, generous, and gracious. So I thank you for the most recent dinner and all the ones that preceded it. To be your neighbor was such a gift. This person has since moved. As we reach out and connect with people in our communities, they're going to start asking questions. Hey, why are you doing this? What, what, what's motivating you? What, what's behind this? Why are you helping me? I don't really understand. Or, you know, you don't ever really seem to be that stressed. Why is that? Or your marriage seems to be healthy. What's your secret? We have to be, as Peter says, prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within us ahead of time so that when they do ask, we're ready to take them to Christ. With regards to the remotes, would encourage you, for starters, um, as soon as the service ends, have a chance to connect with Bob, Tanny, Valerie. Um, great, great opportunity to learn how they are being sent to the remotes. Would encourage you to come this afternoon. Come hear more, a fuller picture of the ministry that's being done elsewhere around the world. Would encourage you to sign up for their newsletters, for their prayer letters. It's absolutely amazing when you're faithfully being prayed for. Absolutely stunned because this week, another letter. A supporter mailed this to us this week. And on the front side are little phrases, little prayer requests that this supporter prayed for Jenny throughout the year. And on the back side, little phrases, prayer requests for me throughout the year. For Jenny, 
prayers uh, for filling with joy, time to fellowship with other believers, making her way straight before the Lord, and on and on it goes for myself, balance, school, ministry, family, a heart that runs after the Lord, time in the word. They just pulled this right out of their prayer journal and dropped it in the mail and sent it to us, and um, it's a tremendous way to encourage those who have been sent to the remotes. There are other ways to pray as well. Operation World, Joshua Project, persecution.com. Tremendous, tremendous resources to find out what God is doing around the world. Ways to pray and to support. Financial support, whether individually or through the church. Consider being sent on a short-term trip. If you've never been on a short-term trip, great opportunity to yourself be sent to some of the remotes. Consider long-term. Why not? If you have any questions about short-term, long-term, talk with any of us. We'd love to talk with you all about that. Last year, the, the post office processed 6.5 million passports. So if you don't have your passport yet, don't worry. You just fill out that application, send it right in, and we'll get you a passport, and we can get you traveling in no time. just want to close with this story about Chris, who's a veteran postal worker in North Carolina, a veteran postal worker of 32 years, runs his local route faithfully in Raleigh, North Carolina. Two weeks ago, on Christmas Eve, he was just trying to finish his routine route when suddenly he heard a woman screaming. Chris rushed into the home along with two other neighbors who were nearby and found the woman's husband, Mike, collapsed completely on the kitchen floor and, and not breathing. Chris began performing CPR, and about two minutes later, Mike's eyes opened, and he began to breathe again. Chris's willingness to rush in, perform CPR, saved Mike's life. This is a picture of what God has sent us to do. He has sent us to run in, to share the message that saves lives. We're each sent. We each have our routes that God has given us. And we rush into homes as well. We rush into neighborhoods. We rush into our local communities. We rush into the lives of the regulars, the reachables, and the remotes. We rush into the lives of those in danger with the hope of Christ. May the Lord help us push the envelope and live this sent life that he has so graciously allowed us to be a part of. Let's pray. Father, um, it's too easy to be speechless in the face of what you have done for us. And yet you call us to testify. You call us to witness. You call us to, to talk, to communicate, to share. Um, thank you. Thank you for who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks for in the Trinity showing us that you are a God who, who sent himself. You have modeled to us what it means to be sent. You don't just tell us to go you went first. Thank you. Thank you for not only going, but then sending us as well. 
giving us the privilege, whether that be with regulars, um, reachables, or remotes. Thank you for that great, great gift and privilege. We pray and ask that you would um, give us an increased passion, give us an increased desire, warm our hearts when they tend to get cold and distant and uncaring. We stand here with our arms open, um, waiting for you alone to do this because we can't change our own hearts, but you can. And so we pray all these things together as your people this morning in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.